0: Good morning. My name is Susan, and I'll be reading today's scripture, which comes from the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. And now let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word.
1: Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for his word. Uh, At this time, if you would, actually, as families are gathered together, uh, if you would turn to the right or to the left, behind and before you, let's greet each other, let's welcome each other in our worship service today. It's great to see your faces. Well, we come to the Gospel of Luke, been going through the series of Shalom, which is to restore health and wholeness and completion to a broken, fractured world, a fallen world. Today it's entitled Forgiven Much. We are introduced to two characters. One is a Pharisee of Pharisees, he's actually a standout even among the Pharisees who are Uh, The religious elite of Jesus' day, there were rivals to Jesus, but Simon the Pharisee was open, curious. He was interested enough to invite Jesus into his home. The other character we are introduced to, as Luke describes, is a woman of the city, obviously a sinner. This is a prostitute. So we have a Pharisee by the name of Simon who invites Jesus into his home. In comes because there was an open door policy, a prostitute walks in. The general observation about Jesus throughout all the entirety of the Gospels is, there's nobody off limits. Nobody. Not a religious professional who thinks he's all that not a prostitute who knows that she's not all that, a paralytic, the poor, the sick, the widows, the orphans. Jesus, time and time and time again, offers himself to everyone, everyone. But the responses to him radically vary. Okay, two headings for us today different receptions, second, based on different realizations. All right, two headings as we just kind of break down this story and Jesus tells a story within this story. Two receptions and then two different realizations. Different receptions. Both characters see Jesus, both characters hear from Jesus, both characters. Get close to Jesus, but only one life is changed, okay? Christ Central exists because God is in the business of changing lives, changing lives. When you come into the presence of Jesus with his community and you go out with his compassion, your life is profoundly changed. He will give you more life and change you like nobody else ever can. Here, out of two characters, however, one is moved by love and worship, the worship of Jesus, while the other is confused with questions and contempt. He ends up being rebuked, and we can just safely assume, unchanged. When Jesus spoke, when Jesus was present, there were different receptions of him. Jesus speaks today. Jesus is present now, especially as we come to the Lord's table in about half an hour. And there are different receptions to him. Why? Why such different receptions? Simon's reception is transactional. Uh, It's detached. It's like uh, he's conducting a job interview, and he's trying to assess and measure the worth and the character and the knowledge of Jesus, his guest. While the woman's reception uh, is just a flood of personal, passionate, worship simon the pharisees is still busy assessing the worth and the value of jesus Uh, the woman has already arrived to a conclusion listen to simon's assessment as luke records this in verse 39 now when the pharisee who had invited him jesus saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Simon the Pharisee questions the omniscience of Jesus. Simon the Pharisee assesses his judgment, his wisdom in the choice of physical contact that he allows. This is rendered unclean. Simon the Pharisee questions his claims. Prophet, maybe I heard your son of God, Messiah. See, this is a job interview. It's a job interview. It's just, it just it's, it's going on. While the woman's reception of Jesus is entirely opposite. Well, Jesus turns around in verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon... Simon, uh, I have something to say to you. Whenever Jesus leads with this, I have something to say to you, in particular to a Pharisee, it's never good. Uh, he's he's going to go nuclear. And Simon the Pharisee said, say it, teacher. It's almost like, you know, so prideful. It's like, just bring it on. You know, in public, I, you know, I could take whatever you're going to say. At least for public image, I've got to show Then I can take whatever you have to say. The next three verses, Jesus tells a story, which is a parable, and then he concludes in verse 44 like this. I'll summarize it this way Jesus turns to Simon the Pharisee and says, Simon, your reception of me, your hospitality, is impoverished. It's so poor. The woman here gave me an anointing, you gave me no anointing. The woman here fell at my feet and wiped his feet with her hair, you never touched or wiped my feet. The woman here poured out her tears, no tears from you. The woman gave kisses, no kisses from you, Simon. It's not hard to imagine the response of Simon. A religious dude, a very church guy, very traditional, very proper. Not hard to imagine his response because it's probably most of ours. You're joking, right, Jesus? <laughs> you you, you got to be kidding me, right? You're rebuking me? She's the intruder. I'd invite her to be a guest. I invited you into my home. Who's the one that's been hospitable? I mean, Jesus... Do you really want me to fall down at your feet and get all demonstrative and expressive, get all worked up and worshipful for you? Jesus' answer in this story is, yes. Yes. The proper... Only adequate reception would be what the woman did. Different receptions. I mean, with my fallible broken means, I mean, human being, I get to see it so often. And these are fallible though. I wonder how much God sees infallibly and perfectly. It's, it's, it's just astounding to me, right? Jesus' word offering his broken body, his shed out blood in communion. And the receptions of him radically vary. The woman gave herself to Jesus. In public, the woman poured out herself to Jesus. She gave up all reputation, all control, all self consciousness in the worship of Jesus. She poured out an alabaster flask of ointment. I mean, this is part of her job. It's part of her cosmetic. It's part of her attraction. She poured it out. It's expensive. She poured it all out. It's all gone. She can't get it back. But Simon the Pharisee, you know, held back. Always a little bit reserved. I mean, you don't want to give up everything, do you? You have to maintain some kind of control. Ah, But according to Jesus, the only reception he deserves and the only reception he commends is the kind of reception of all-out trust, all-out risk-taking. You commit yourself. You commit yourself. Are you committed? Are you committed one side or the other? There's no kind of like straddling the fence. You know, I had a visual audio test of trusting somebody. As I've gotten all permission to say this. My youngest daughter, Elizabeth, is learning to drive. And my wife said, it's time for daddy duty. You've done nothing in your life. Do this one thing. Teach her how to drive. And so we did. And yeah, she had some things to develop and learn as we first drove together, Uh, she took her driver's license exam for the first time, and she failed. Elizabeth said, Dad, you can share that. Well, she failed. Secretly in my heart, I said, thank you, God. There is a semblance of standards out there. There's law and justice out there. If you passed her that first time, you know, I don't know, just Jesus, just come back real soon. I don't know what else to say. So, you know, we kept on practicing and, you know, I like to think of myself as somewhat restrained. I mean, I'm an emotional, passionate guy, but you know, I don't usually like panic or break out into a cold sweat. But when you're teaching a teenager to drive, you'll have the experience. We're coming out of church, the Artesia Building, and she has trouble making turns. And I think when you're learning how to drive, you keep your two hands on the wheel and when you turn, you're just afraid you don't ever let go. So if you don't let go of the turning wheel, right, you're just, you're just kind of stuck. So she, you know, she was used to kind of making wide turns. So you know, she's coming out on a right turn, make a right here, and she made it a little wide. So wide that she started coming into oncoming traffic. I was strapped in the passenger seat, clutched the seat belt like this, screamed, ah! Now, you know, when, when, when full-grown men go like this, like crouched, like the crouch, and they scream, and they start to sweat. They're in full-on panic. Thank God, instead of going into oncoming traffic, she swerved, and, you know, she got out and went the other way. My goodness. A lot of crying after that. Dad had to apologize. Traumatic for both of us. She passed her driver's exams. Uh, driver license, yeah, the second time. Yes, thank you. Thank you, God. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Why are you telling me this? <laughs> I really don't like sitting in a passenger seat, seatbelt or not, and entrusting someone else to drive, especially a teenager. It's really scary. It is an inadequate analogy. But have you done this? Have you ever done this with Jesus? Jesus is far better than a teenage driver. He's not like learning on the job still. You cannot sit in the driver's seat. You cannot stay in control and roll out a proper reception of Jesus. That won't happen. Hey, fellow parents, as your kids grow up to become full-fledged adults, You cannot roll out a reception for Jesus to be the ultimate sovereign Lord and Savior as long as you try to stay in control. In your life, right now, in your life, if you are at the wheel in total control, you see, the ultimate final say always belongs to you. I dare say, you're no different from Simon the Pharisee. You're far from the woman who. Gave herself, gave up controls in personal, passionate worship of Jesus. Different receptions. Second, based on different realizations. Why such different receptions? Why do responses radically vary? Different realizations. Jesus tells us in this parable, verses 41 to 43. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Oh, Simon the Pharisee, you always answer the questions right, but you don't get to figure out how to live right. One owed 500 denarii, roughly 20 months worth of wages or close to two years worth of wages. The other person owed 50 denarii, that's something like two months worth of wages. So although one person is indebted 10 times the amount than the other person, One debt is 10 times greater than the other person. Jesus is illustrating here that no matter the amount of debt, they're both in the same situation. This is why Jesus tells a story. They're both in the same situation. Verse 42, they both could not pay. They're both in debt. They both required debt forgiveness verse 42 they both could not make good on their debt they both were unable to make good on their debt therefore both required a cancellation of that debt it didn't amount, didn't matter the amount of difference of the debts And by every analysis, the Pharisee was clearly better off in the eyes of the world. And by gender, education, assets, moral record, public esteem, how he looked, how he talked, how he behaved, Pharisee clearly better off. But in the eyes of Jesus, no different than the woman, for both are debtors and both cannot make good on that debt. So again... Why was the woman worshipful? Why are some of you today worshipful? While Simon and some of you are, to be frank, rude, disrespectful, detached, irritable please don't think i think you're rude or you're disrespectful i'm saying there's only one great audience here his name goes by the name of jesus he makes that assessment what's the difference what uh, people don't know math 500 versus 50 i wonder which one's bigger Is it that the woman and the Pharisee didn't understand the chasm of socioeconomic gaps? The classes that they lived, like the kind of parties they would host, or who they would hang out with, or what people would say behind their backs? Of course they knew all that. The reason for the different receptions is because they had different realizations. And the reason is not that the prostitute needs to be forgiven more. She just realized it more. Listen, my friends, there's only two kinds of people here and in the whole world. This is from the word of God. only two kinds of people. A bunch of people who don't know how much they owe. And then some people who realize it. The reason for the different receptions is not that the prostitute didn't need more forgiveness, or she needed more forgiveness, it's that she realized it more. You see, Simon as a Pharisee, as an upright, moral person, built his entire life on observances, obedience to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, so that, now get this, pay attention, okay? As a religious, moral, upright person, Simon had built his entire life in living and conducting and controlling himself in such a way so that he would never feel indebted to God. Hmm. Did you know you can be so religious, so moral, so that you can avoid Jesus? Did you know that you can try to be good so that you'll never have to fall at the feet of Jesus to save you? Did you know that you can be so religious that you don't ever want to meet someone like Jesus? And the deadliest sin in all the world is debt denial. Did you know that? Do you know what the deadliest, most toxic sin you have right now? It's the one you don't realize. See, it's the one you don't see. It's the one you don't feel. There are many of you right here, right now, in this room, who do not realize the debt you owe. And if you deny that debt, you don't feel a need for forgiveness. That's the unforgivable sin. That's the unforgivable sin. Prostitutes will walk into the kingdom of heaven way ahead of you. Not because they needed to be forgiven more. You didn't realize it more. So the explicit lesson from Jesus now. Verse 47. Verse 47. Therefore I tell you, Simon, Simon, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Explicit lesson from Jesus. If you don't realize how much you need to be forgiven and you feel like you've been forgiven very little, you will love and forgive very little. But if you realize and feel like how much you need to be forgiven, you have been forgiven much, forgiven much, forgiven much. You then can love and forgive much. We've been going through the series of shalom, shalom. For all different stages and struggles of life, for different seasons of life, I cannot exaggerate to you the value the functional working power of forgiveness for all of life, for shalom, and all the relationships you could have experienced. Forgiven much? Have you been forgiven much? Have I been forgiven much? Then you will love much and forgive much. Two features of forgiveness now as we turn around. Turn around now. Forgiven much... We can forgive much. Two features. First, to forgive someone, forgiveness is not about faking it. Forgiveness isn't about faking it. It's not about ignoring, denying, sanitizing, minimizing, excusing, covering over, always sweeping it under the rug. You know, let's not talk about that. I never want to bring that up. Forgiveness is not about faking the amount of hurt or the kind of debt you've taken on and absorbed by someone else's sin or hate towards you. In fact, a lot of people fake it. They don't want to say how bad it is. They don't want to face how bad it is because you want to bypass the harder work of forgiving that person. But until you forgive the outstanding debts you feel are owed to you, usually from your family of origin, family in the past, and your former friends in the past, until you face and forgive the outstanding debts you feel in your heart, they should owe to you. Make up for it. And if you don't forgive those debts, you will make people today all around you pay you will always make them pay. You don't know you're making them pay, but you're making them pay. I mean, you talk about repressed, deflected anger, rage. Like You talk about why you're so sensitive about when someone did that. You talk about why this kind of triggers you. Forgiveness is never about faking it. I think a lot of Asian American circles, we really struggle with this. And therefore... We don't forgive. Forgiveness isn't about enduring abuse, violence, criminal illegal behavior, or endangering yourself or your children or anyone else around you. Can I tell you as one of your pastors, if you've never known this, I want to tell you in those kinds of cases of danger and abuse to you or your loved ones, you should seek immediate safety. You should report it not only to a pastor, but to the police. If laws are broken, police should know. That's part of the instrument of God to bring about justice and safety. To forgive someone never means you don't pursue what is just, what is mandated, what is righteous, and what is just for all, what is best for all. I've seen people only learn to forgive, which by definition is you do no longer hold it against someone. By definition, biblical forgiveness is someone has hurt, attacked, deprived, taken something from you, but Forgiveness is to absorb that, and you don't hold it. You don't make this other person pay back that debt you feel they owe you. But the only way you no longer hold it against someone sometimes is to remove yourself from that someone. To forgive tremendous toxic patterns of pain and abuse takes tremendous amount of work and time and space on your end and so it will require that on the other end. You should and must wait to see real repentance, work, and change in the other person toward reconciliation. Do not confuse or conflate personal forgiveness with relational reconciliation. Do not over-spiritualize personal forgiveness where Jesus Tells us and empowers us to do this with reconciliation because forgiveness is never about faking it. You know, back in 2018, Rachel Denhollander, evidently a believer, spoke on behalf of all victims, including herself, in a trial against Larry Nasser of Michigan State University. And I want you to see in the courtroom how a Christian sister could offer personal forgiveness while pursuing justice and protection for all victims. Here's what she said. Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds can erase what you you have done. The Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And this is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found, and it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Though I extend that to you as well. Forgiveness isn't about faking it. Second feature, last one. Forgiveness is freeing when you pay down the debt. Forgiveness, not holding it against someone, is freeing when you pay down that debt. A pastor told of a story, I'm so glad about, June 17th to the 19th, Vacation Bible School, VBS, VBS. Our crew, our team is so amazing. I'm so glad we're going to offer this in the summer three days. Pastor told that they were holding a VBS and kids who used to come up from across the street just stopped coming one day all of a sudden. <clears throat> so the pastor thought to himself, I'm going to go speak to their parent or their dad. So he crossed the street, went to the dad across the street and said, hey, we don't ever want to inconvenience you. We will send volunteers across the street to pick up your kids. Bring them across the street to our church. After VBS is is done, our volunteers will bring them back to you so that hopefully they can continue attending. The pastor said he was shocked by how angry the father got. Because here's what the father said No, my father pushed his religion down my throat, made me be in church every single week. My children are never going to church. My children are never going to church. Do you see, that father was still enraged and bitter at his own father. He was not deciding anything on the basis of what would be good or bad for his children to attend a church or go to a VBS across the street. All he was doing, see, he was still controlled. He was still controlled. He was still angry. He was still controlled of trying to beat back his debt. He was trying to get back at his own father. He was trying to pay down the debt that he think his father owed him by staying and ventilating all his bitterness and angry. Here's the tragedy. That'll never pay down the debt. It'll never set you free. This is why Jesus taught us pray. Any believer or follower of Jesus, he taught us to pray this. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiven much, forgiven much. Jesus says you should forgive someone 70 times 70. It's just a figure of speech. He says it's endless. It actually is endless as a Christian person. Forgiven much, you can forgive much. And then Jesus taught us to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. You see, my friends, by, free, by forgiving those who have harmed you. By forgiving those who are indebted to you. This is how God delivers you from all evil. This is how God sets you free from the evil passing into you. And grabbing a hold of you. Oh, as we come to the table. How is it that I could experience shalom with God? God. How can someone like me who realizes more and more of his own sinfulness and indebtedness to God, the woman realized she owes, she owes everything she has, she owes all of it back to God. Do you? And how is it that she and I and anyone here who knows we owe it all because all of it has been given on loan. He is the money lender. We are the debtors. All of it's been given on loan. How can I be at peace with God when I clearly haven't lived everything back to God? And this is what Romans chapter 5 verse 1 announces to us. By faith, giving up controls, trusting someone else, Jesus Christ... You have been justified, declared no longer guilty. God will no longer hold it against you. And you can be at peace with God. You and I can be at peace with God. We give ourselves over in personal and passionate worship of Jesus and receive him as he deserves. For Jesus Christ himself, never fakes it with me. Jesus Christ does not fake the toxicity and the baggage and stuff I have accumulated. In fact, if Jesus faked it, why did he end up bleeding crucified on a cross? If Jesus masked it, pretended it wasn't that bad, why would he die there? If Jesus faked it, you have no need for a gospel. If Jesus faked it with me, I would not need a savior. If Jesus fakes it with you, you don't need forgiveness. But Jesus had his shalom shattered, his body broken, his blood poured out. So that when you trust him, commit, commit, entrust, Be on his side. Get on his side. That one side over the other. Give your life to him. And you will be at shalom with God. This is why in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, instruct us. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. To my Christian brothers and sisters this morning, the only way you can refuse to forgive is because you forgot how much you've been forgiven. The only way you can hold back, the only way you can stay hard, the only way you refuse and resist forgiving someone else. It's because you forgot how much the Lord has forgiven you. And today, today, if there be anyone here today, right now, today, you know your debt. You know you owe. You owe. God gave you everything on loan. Your brain, your body, your heart, your opportunities, your family, your history, your job. All of it. Your heart beating. Everything working properly. All of it. It is all on loan. And you owe. Do you realize how much you owe? And if you know you can't make up for that debt. And you need your debt to be forgiven. You need your debt, that chasm, to be canceled before you and God. You want peace with God? You want shalom with God? You want the living God to be real and personal to you? Today, right here, right now, you pray, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need you to come into my life. I want to worship you and follow you all my days. You pray that you pray that, you'll be forgiven much. Shalom will come rushing in. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we now come to the table, would you show yourself through all sensory means the power, the worth, the beauty of Jesus and his gospel for us? Lord, I pray for anyone here who may need to come to Jesus for the very first day. Bring them to pray. Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you to forgive me of all my sin. Come into my life. I want to worship you, love you, follow you all my days. Oh God. Would you give them shalom? And now, O Lord, thank you for offering it through the table as we come together. In Jesus' name, amen.